Welcome to Onside, the official podcast from the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Our mission is to protect the health of athletes and the integrity of Australian sport. Hello and welcome to a new season of Onside. I'm Tim Gavel. WADA's 2020 prohibited list is in effect as of the 1st of January and no new additional prohibited drugs have been added to that list. Today our guest is the two times Paralympic gold medalist in the sport of cycling, Michael Gallagher. In his prime, Michael won two Paralympic gold medals and 10 world titles. But his world came crashing down in the lead up to the 2016 Rio Paralympic Games, when he tested positive to EPO and was subsequently banned for four years. By his own admission, Michael says he crossed a dark line. Michael still cycles socially, works in the building industry and more recently has joined ASADA's Athlete Advisory Group. The advisory group is designed to help the Anti-Doping Authority build a tangible link with athletes. And in Michael's case, an understanding of what leads athletes to take performance-enhancing drugs. And Michael, thank you very much for joining us on Onside today. Firstly, given what you've been through in the last four years, how did it feel walking through the doors of ASADA here in Canberra? Um, Yeah, it's... Uh, a lot better circumstances dealing with Fasada now than uh, almost, yeah, what, three and a half years ago. Um, yeah, it's still, I guess, something that's like I think about regularly. It's uh, something that I, th- I think is a positive thing for me to, to be back here and um, offer my story, um, my advice and thought process, uh, life circumstances, um, the, the pressures of an athlete and uh, their mindset to, I don't know, if it can help uh, ASADA come up with ways or uh, education to to stop people, you know, going down the same path or even just for people to realise that they're not in the, the best decision-making process and, and speak up, um, I think that would be a positive thing. What was your reaction when ASADA rang you to say, would you be interested in being part of an athlete advisory group with the Anti-Doping Authority? Um, yeah, I guess... Uh, you sort of think good and bad things. Um, well, yeah, you, you're sort of torn on it, um, but uh, you sort of don't know whether your story can help or what sort of a, what sort of ways things you, you say could be taken or whether you would um, be, you know, they would treat you as part of the, the group or you, you sort of as, uh, I guess, a convicted drug cheat as part of the panel, you, you've always got that sort of little bit of um, standoffish, I guess, mm. against um, how people perceive that. Because you are dealing primarily a lot of the time in these groups with athletes who have been denied medals and denied world titles because they have competed against people who have been convicted of doping later on. That's correct. Um, so sport's a, a passionate thing and uh, pe- you know, people have the right to um, yeah, feel strongly about certain people's decisions. But uh, I think if anything, my story and uh, people um, meeting me in person and stuff probably makes doping seem a lot less black and white, that you can be a good person, an honest person, but uh, head down the wrong way or yeah, just understand that you start out by not being a decision, it's just more of um, a process, a curiosity, and it leads too far. Which is what happened in your case, didn't it? Uh, uh, tell us about 
what led you to take EPO because it it's quite an interesting timeline in, in terms of depression, lack of motivation, I guess issues financially. Yep, all compounding to to force you in your own mind to to make the wrong decision. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, if you combine you know a bit of depression, anger, um, alcohol, fighting with uh, your spouse, uh, yeah, financial troubles, or all that sort of stuff, you you feel like your your backs to the wall and you want to just fix it yourself. So that being the case, it's not really a good mindset to make clear and correct decisions. Yeah, it's it's sort of um, it's a bit of a I wouldn't say a trap, but it's uh, just it can um, yeah just lead you to making poor choices with with anger. You, you can make justifications over certain things and, uh, yeah, it just – it's not a good place to, to be in mentally. When you took EPO, uh, reading a lot about your story, it, it almost gave you a little bit of a burst psychologically, didn't it? And, you know, you sort of entered a different space for a, a short time there, didn't you? Well, yeah, definitely because I'd been already competing for 12 years, 13 years and gradually – well – improving heaps at the start, then you're gradually improving for a few years. Um, you always look for ways to get better, better training methods, um, better recovery methods. Uh, and for the, the, the two years, I guess, leading into Rio, I wasn't going to get any better. I felt that I had done everything um, physically, sacrifice-wise. Um, so, yeah, I guess cheating was something new. It was. Um, it's. It's going to give me the the motivation to go out and hurt myself to a new level. Um, you just got a feeling of this is new and fresh again after you know a few years of not having any shown improvements or thinking of any other ways to. You know, you're already sleeping in an altitude tent each night. You've got your diet down pat for the past four years. It's. You know. It's. It did give me motivation to train, and train train probably harder than, uh, well, as hard as I ever did. I said you in the intro that your world came crashing down, but to a certain degree, I sense it was almost a relief when you got caught. Um, I guess it's it wasn't a relief to get caught, but it was probably I don't know whether it was a bit of self sabotage. To I don't know, looking back, it's probably the only way I would ever see myself getting out of sport. Uh, I was so um, passionate about it. That was my only identity. That's, you know, I was a world champ and felt, you know, like I had such a great status in that community and stuff. Um, I would never want to retire, even though my finances, finances was uh, shot. Um, marriage wasn't going well. Yeah, there's no future in it when you're getting to close to forty, and I would I would just be in denial for years and years trying to make the team. And I guess the fact that I had to sever all ties made me well. Yeah, I had to move on. Do you feel as though you're in a far better space now? Um, things seem to have settled down a fair bit, and the mere fact that you've come out so publicly, you went on Facebook pretty quickly to say, "Listen." across the line, uh, you admitted your guilt. Do you, do you feel as though, 
you know, people are more accepting of your story now and time has healed to a certain degree and you feel better for it? Uh, definitely. Um, like at, at first when you come to the realisation of the positive test, you're, you're in shock. You semi were in a bit of denial but you wake up and realise, no, that, that is true, that I have done that. Um, so always from that day one my stance was, look, if you've stuffed up, admit it and it doesn't get worse. It's bad enough as it is. So I, I owned it pretty early. It didn't didn't recover from it straight away. It took a long time, but uh, yeah, a lot of self-reflecting and getting stronger as a person mentally and different goals and stuff. Um, definitely in a much better place than I was as an athlete, not an insecure not a person that can ride a bike really fast, needing everyone else's approval to, to do so. One of the things that I find interesting with athletes is after they've tested positive and, and, and been banned is they then realise the impact that it has on others and at the time when you're doing it, you're so insular and you're so focused, yep. you don't realise that if you do something like what you did, yep. the impact that it has on your family, friends and, and people in the cycling community. Yeah, and I guess that's the big thing about the education. It's it's still sold as, oh, if you if you take drugs, you cheat um, your competitors of a clean result and all that sort of stuff when I don't know that that's probably the best strategy to use because you're not going to have the same remorse as letting your family down or your friends. Yeah, so I think, yeah, for me, the fact that I didn't get to compete in Rio or any of that wasn't um, the downside, but coming home and, ha you know, facing your dad and, yeah, your family and stuff. Well, your wife and coach. Yeah, yeah, that's um, – there was juniors I was coaching. Yeah, to have to face them is is tough because, yeah, it's personal. They love you. You love them. Um, and they believe in you. Yeah. So that was difficult. And um, my message is probably that they believed in me being such a, a role model in the past um, – Know, working hard, sacrifice, and um, what I achieved. When you know, looking back, it's not, yeah, you know, it's not a role model. It's, it, you can think that that's, it's it's great that someone can achieve that, but I, I was sacrificing a lot of things that probably were too much. Um, and yeah, it's I'm I'm sort of torn still now with uh, elite sport, um, what it takes to do it and holding the athletes on a pedestal. Um, I semi feel sorry for them and are in awe of their achievements because I've been um, behind the scenes. And, yeah, all the, the story of the sacrifice and the hard work and stuff is true and then at the end you let them down and it sort of goes just black and white. It's like, well, none of it's true or now is he not even a nice guy? Is he... Who is he as a person? Is he even a friend? It's that sort of stuff. So it's um, yeah, you lose track of your own identity, and um, people think that they they don't know you. Um, so that that was difficult. It's a powerful message, and I, I'd assume it's one that you know part of your role with the AAG you push push out as far as the education message because that that's what you're there for, isn't it? To advise, yeah, and to say, listen, the message should be. 
don't let down your friends, don't let down your family yeah, as, as much as that, that's rob, correct. Rob, robbing somebody else of a gold medal. Well, that's right because um, in the bubble of elite sport, you're trained to win and beat everyone else and you've got the blinkers on but then you're also, yeah, you can take things too far. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a mindset of an elite athlete. There's always that fine line, I guess. We know that the, the rule book's there but you go right to the edge of that rule book and then, yeah, in my situation where uh, things aren't going well, you even roll the dice on the rule book as well. So it's, um, yeah, I guess if I can tell a story and someone else realises they're halfway down that track and, you know, put the brakes on a bit, then that's it's helped. So. Good on you, Michael. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on Onside. It's a powerful message. And once again, thanks for, a bit for being part of the Athlete Advisory Group with Asada. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's Michael Gallagher. Back with more with Onside in just a moment. This is Onside, the official podcast of Asada. Welcome back to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. Time now for So I Was Wondering, where we answer questions from the public. And today's question is, how do I log my whereabouts if I can't access Adams? And to answer the question, we've been joined by Di Tucknot, Athlete Services Officer at ASADA. Good morning, Di. And just to answer that question, how do I log my whereabouts if I can't access Adams? Well, it does depend on why you can't access Adams. If you've been, uh, if you've forgotten your password, then you need to hit the reset password link and that will give you a new password you can get back in. And if you've been locked out, then you need to contact ASADA if you're on ASADA's RTP, which is our registered testing pool. If you're on an international testing pool, you need to contact your IF, your international federation, and they'll be able to assist you. Is it a commonly asked question? Yes, it is. It happens quite often. People do forget their passwords, and they do have to hit the reset password link to get back in. Are there other reasons why they can't get into Adams? Yes, sometimes uh, Adams is actually down. The web server goes down and they can't access it and they'll get an error message. They just simply need to wait an hour or so and they'll be able to get back on. I would imagine that athletes would become quite anxious if they can't get onto it, uh, worried about missing whereabouts and wondering what was going to happen after that. Yeah, that's correct. They do get anxious because um, they don't want to have a whereabouts failure, which is a missed test or a filing failure on them. So we do recommend that if they are continually having problems logging into Adams that they contact us via email as soon as possible and they can actually register updated whereabouts filings with us that way. For those unfamiliar with Adams, can you just describe exactly what it is? It is a system where they can log their everyday activities and the overnight address and their 60-minute test hour so that um, we're able to track where they are and conduct testing on them. Do you feel that sometimes you're almost a psychologist, I guess, you're dealing with athletes who may be anxious about not getting, you've got to calm them down, haven't you, and just put them in the right direction? Yes, I do. I do have to calm them down because it is very stressful for them. And for some of the athletes, they don't always get their itineraries until very late, so they don't know where they'll be staying overseas, when they'll be travelling. So we just try and um, guide them as much as possible and assist them where we can. And, and delays in flights and changing accommodation, yeah. Yeah, all that they have to deal with. Um, but we're at the end of the email train, so they're most welcome to contact me via email is usually the best way. And once they've put it in writing, we record all those uh, transactions and they're covered, so there's no problem. You've been with the SADA about six years now. Do you, do you enjoy the role? Yes, I do. I particularly enjoy athlete services because I get to actually interact first-hand with the athletes, and I really enjoy that interaction. It's important, isn't it, because you're the first point of contact a lot of the time, aren't you, with 
with a lot of the athletes. Yes, I am. We have uh, quite a few junior athletes and sometimes I work with their parents as well to assist them onto our registered testing pool. Quite a rewarding job. Yes, it is. It's very rewarding. I really like it, actually. Good on you, Di. Thanks very much for joining us today to answer that question, how do I log my whereabouts if I can't access Adams? Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. That's Di Tucknot, Athlete Services Officer at ASADA. Time now for a fast fact. ASADA undertook 5,523 anti-doping tests across 52 sports last financial year, including 51 tests on foreign athletes training and competing in Australia. That fast fact was presented by ASADA Sports Operations Manager, Steve Northey. Thanks for listening to Onside this week. I'm Tim Gavel. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to executiveoffice at asada.gov.au. For more information about clean, fair sport, visit our website, asada.gov.au, or check out our clean sport app.